Today's episode is brought to you by Caffeine Gum Australia. Originally created for the US military, Military Energy Gum has now been widely used as a caffeine supplement in elite sports all over the world. It comes in three different flavors in cinnamon, arctic mint, and my personal favorite, spearmint. And with 100 milligrams of caffeine per piece, it's a really simple, quick, cheap, and tasty way of getting your caffeine fix. Check them out at www.caffeinegumaustralia.com. Boom. Okay, today's guest played 90 tests for the Wallabies, 155 Super Rugby games, mostly for the Waratahs, but also quite a few games for the Force, and he played 46 games for European Giants, Leicester Tigers. Most importantly, he's just a fantastic human being, and it was an absolute pleasure to talk to him. Uh, there are some audio issues um, as you go through it, but we will get better at this as we go. Uh, please enjoy this long conversation with the great Tatafu Pilotu now. I'm going to do this properly, so I'm going to introduce you like a professional would. Um, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Wandering Bear Sports Podcast, the number one sports podcast in the world. Uh, I'm just going to keep saying that till it comes true. Uh, special guest today, Tatafu Pilotu now. How are you, mate? Hello, Duncan. How are you? Good, mate. Good to see you. Now, where, you. where are you in the world at the moment? Uh, so I've resided back with my parents, which is in Guildford. Oh, nice. Um, so, yeah, after uh, being uh, being made redundant from COVID over in the UK, I came back in uh, July of 2020. Yeah. I'm sure everyone can forget that year, but uh, in saying that... Uh, just thought I'd give myself a six months sabbatical, just get back to uh, real life before making any other major uh, decisions. But uh, yeah, I think uh, it's been great to be back in God's country. Um, now, I've got a lot I want to talk to you about, but before I get into it, I was just doing some reading on you. And you, there's, there's no articles of you actually saying you've hung the boots up. So have you officially hung the boots up? Well... You, hear, you heard it first on Wandering Bear Sports. We've got some breaking news. Yes. Uh, <laughs> I have hung up the boots um, officially as of uh, July 2020, but at the same time, uh, it was never announced, only because, uh, yeah, there was some things going on in my mind. But uh, yeah. after uh, a horrid uh, 2020 years, it gave me some time to think about things, and I think it's time for me to uh, hang up the boots officially. Nice, and uh, get on with uh, the rest of my life. Start now, a new chapter. I'm going to talk to you about your career, but um, from purely selfish point of view, how are you feeling about retirement? Because I've just retired as well. And there's sort of... Oh, congratulations. I, that, thanks, mate. Thanks. I, I never played at the level you played at, but it's still an interesting sort of mix of emotions. And why did you come to de the decision and how are you feeling about it? Uh, good question. Uh, I think... Entirely, it just came down to the fact that after putting on the boots back again for club rugby, don't get me wrong, I still enjoyed getting out there with uh, all my old former teammates back in the day. But I feel like uh, it was the right time for me to just... Because uh, I think I went through the same uh, roller coaster you did with all mixed emotions of whether you should give it up or not. But I was confident in myself saying um, that I've done the best that I could have um, playing rugby, so I think it's uh, time for me to step into a new venture and um, 
go discover some new things. But yeah, it's um, it's like for me, it's been an interesting sort of way of looking at it because I've it's obviously never really been a job for me, fits Correct. and starts, but it's it's a big part of your life, and mm-hmm. I I really looked at it and the thing that I I'm done I've I was absolutely done maybe probably two years ago but I just hung around because I loved my southern districts really and yeah. I think the thing that I struggle with the most is a lack of purpose so even, even at a shoot shield level you still have something to train for every week you still got something to to work towards mm-hmm. and what what do you think about that is is that the thing for you or is it is it not seeing your mates every day is it an identity thing what what do you think is hard about it and like because i look at you i i I don't know you enormously well but i i've sort of observed you from afar and i always looked at your rugby career as like it was what you did it wasn't who you are is that would that would that be fair to say or or do do you feel a bit differently about it i if anything i was just uh one of the guys that would like just do his job to the best of his ability and uh, like let the rest of the team take the accolades really because at the end of the day, like it's a team sport. It's why I loved loved and enjoyed doing it because it's not just you on the field. Like you're there with 14 other um, good mates that you actually build build time making a bond. Um, With that, uh, I think it's also... um, like if I could juxtapose club rugby with professional side, the the fundamentals of uh, bonding are right there in club rugby, and wouldn't mind seeing a bit more of it back in uh, the elite side because. Do you, do you mean like a few beers after the game type thing, or your midweek sort of thing, or? I think I think it depends on the culture they build as well. Um, some cultures are really you got to just focus on your job. Some are more about. Uh, get to know your teammate because at the end of the day, like he's the one that's going to be there for you in the end. Uh, yeah, so it sort of varies, but I guess overall, um, the, the one thing I loved about club rugby last year was um, we all come from different uh, backgrounds and upbringings, but the fact that you can actually go out there, have some fun for 80 minutes, well, I mean, fourth grade we played 60, but regardless, <laughs> it was just the fact that um, it made me fall in love with the sport again. You sort of lose that when you get to the higher um, echelons of uh, professional rugby. So, yeah, I hope uh, they don't lose that uh, importance side, particularly uh, as the game keeps evolving. Um, so for, for those that don't know, you played fourth grade for... Do, do, you, do you see it as Western Sydney two blues or is it Parramatta two blues to you? Oh, I do see it as Western Sydney two blues, only for the mere fact that... Uh, before Penrith were um, included uh, last season, we sort of had to cover the whole catching of West, Western Sydney as well. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, still Parramatta um, traditions, but in saying that we sort of wanted to grasp uh, the whole um, catchment of Western Sydney. Well, that, that makes a lot of sense. Um, one thing I was to change, sorry, we'll keep talking about this for a bit. Are you happy, with, are you happy with what you've done? Do you like? Do you, are you the kind of guy that reflects and go, "Look, I played ninety tests for my country, a shitload of Super Rugby games." Do you think about that, or is it just a good memory? And like, how how yeah. do you how do you see it? Uh, to be honest, 
we've got to the point where like I used to procrastinate a lot, particularly when I first started. Uh, but the the more experience I got, I just uh, made sure that uh, what's done is done. Put it aside. Look forward to or be more so in the moment, really, because I think uh, you sort of miss the brighter uh, things in life. Like, I mean, uh, I went to the botanical gardens in city last week, and like just smelling the fresh flowers was something I haven't done in ages. I mean. People sort a, of underestimate that, yeah. Because you had a weekend off. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I think, like, having weekends back rather than sort of building a bit of tension towards a game for the week, I mean, yeah, it's sort of refreshing in a way, to be honest. So, Did it? Time, oh, no, no, you go, you go. Oh, but at the same time, it was just more so um, trying to uh, emulate things that you learned from the past and put it, in whatever aspect you do. So, for example, I learned that um, your network is your net worth. So, um, in business terms, it's more so about trying to uh, branch out in so many areas that uh, to sell, like the game of rugby, um, there's so many aspects of it that you can sell to people of different departments. So, that's what I loved about it as well. Um, Did... Did it ever get easier for you? Because you, you made your debut in 2006 and I was oh, just reading. Oh, debut, yeah. No, no. Wallabies. So when, when you made your Wallabies debut, 2005? Five, yes. Yeah, and yeah. you were one of the few people to do that without playing Super Rugby. Is, is yeah. that right? So ha- how, how was that? How, how did you – like I'm interested in your headspace. Were you excited? Were you shitting yourself? Pretty much what you just said. I was shitting myself. Um, yeah. Who was it? It was no. that against England? Or it was yeah. yeah no it was against England um, so it was a game where our Baxter got sent off and Matt Dunning got stretched off oh, I, I remember that <laughs> yeah <laughs> so they had to put me uh, in as a reserve prop but um, fortunately um, it was uncontested scrum so okay yeah. so was that who was the uh, the big bricklayer that played for England who was just a monster what was it, um, he, he, was it Sheridan Sheridan yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. But on the other side, they had Phil Vickery, who was a who's a monster as well. Yeah, monster exactly. as well. Um, so, how did it did it get easier from your first test to your ninetieth test, or was it something that you would always like? Did you still get nervous? Yeah, uh, I, even playing fourth grade, I was still nervous. Um, that never leaves you. Uh, the thing for me was uh, the games evolved ever since I first started my first test to the last test when I played in uh, Parramatta. Um, so it got to the point where when, when I first started, you had to put on some bulk. But then later on, later on, they sort of made it more running rugby and you sort of had to lose the bulk but um, get some finesse under your belt. So you're constantly evolving yourself uh, to fit the criteria of what the um, coaching staff want in terms of their game plan. So, yeah, it's just a... Roller coaster ride of um, body um, composition. Get big, get fit, get skinny, yeah. all that sort of stuff. Who was who was the coach when you when you started for the Wallabies? Was it John Conley? Eddie Jones. Eddie Jones. What were your? Yeah. Oh, so I've I've listened to a lot of him talk, and what were your impressions of him? Apparently, oh, he's a very very angry man back in the day, but he's apparently calmed down a bit. I, I think so. Uh, it's funny. I uh, sort of 
got the opportunity because he coaches England now. Uh, when I was playing with Leicester, I've yeah. got some in, inside uh, gossip from what um, who they call Beaver uh, is like now. Because when I first started, yeah, he can be intimidating, but uh, I think uh, it wasn't just, it was like a common trend. Uh, it wasn't just specified for certain people. It was more so the fact that I think he plays these mental games to test how mentally um, resilient you are. Because yeah. I think but we, we, we wouldn't know it at the time, but at the same time, it's like... So there was like a method to, to his madness. To his madness, type correct. thing, yeah, and you know, all about getting you ready mentally to play. So I could have, I could have imagined you as you were, you were twenty at that time. Yeah. So twenty, just out of the under twenties, I could imagine. Was he relatively nice to you, or was he pushing you, trying to see if you could get that little mental thing that you need to play Test rugby? The only person he was ever nice to that tour was Leroy Houston. Was oh yeah. Baby. Yeah, he, yeah. Like, yeah, he was the. Youngest. He was eighteen or something at the time, Correct. wasn't he? Yeah. Yeah, and. Uh, uh, I recall this vividly. Uh, he had an interview and he impersonated Eddie Jones. Quite funny, actually. But every, everyone in the squad's like, oh, you don't Was it on, online somewhere? Uh, no, unfortunately, um, it was just at a sort of a golf day. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like one well, of those on stage type things. Correct, yeah. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Uh, we, like everyone thought, okay. Pack your bags, Leroy. See you later. But uh, no, uh, I think uh, Eddie uh, admired it quite a fair bit, which is great. So, mate, one of the things they did during the lockdown was put out a podcast for um, for England rugby, and it was just Connor O'Shea just asking him questions, and I, I listened to all of it. And if anyone anyone out there is interested in coaching, it's definitely something I'd, I'd listen to. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's just go through your career a little bit. So you. you First played for the Wallabies, then you ended up going to the Tars. Was that when Ewan was coach? Correct. How how was he? Because from an outsider looking in, he just seemed he seemed like a very good operator. What, what were your thoughts about him? Uh, so, as a coach, the, yeah, yeah. Uh, do you know the movie Moneyball? Yep. That's Ewan in a nutshell. So he would look um, at stats and go 90% of the time, this line out works and that kind of thing. Yeah. yeah but like um, what he'd do well is uh, strategize uh, certain weaknesses in certain teams um, and get the suited uh, type of player for that team. Um, yeah. It was great how he sort of got everyone in the squad involved because of their strengths. So, I mean, to be honest, like uh, I've got so much respect for you and that uh, it's, it's sort of a, a big pity that uh, they sort of uh, left, let him uh, leave the way he did for the Wallabies because regardless of all of the off-field stuff, he's still got the results on-field. So, um, and coming like dead close to getting a Super Rugby title twice, yeah. Just goes to show, uh, the t- like how well uh, structured he is. Because when so here's a funny story. Will Genya comes up to me. Uh, we we're on a 2008 spring tour. Go ask me um, 
what Yorn was like because he just signed from Stade Francais to go uh, coach the Reds. Um, and my, my reply to him straight away was, don't be surprised when you win it in two years' time. So They did, they did didn't they? Yeah, 2011 did they, they, they win it. Yeah. yeah, so... Um, but it was no surprise because he just knew... Uh, and plus the Reds at that time were bringing out some awesome young guns as well. So um, for like it couldn't have been scripted uh, any better for Ewan because that was sort of his like cup of tea, really. To try it's a bit of redemption and a... yeah, oh definitely. But yeah, like a bit, a bit of I think, yeah, I think the rugby spoke for itself because that, that was uh, one of the most exciting sort of teams that uh, that I can certainly remember. And oh, what, was it, what was it like playing playing against them? I must say uh, it was tough, like um, because they played more a, a more expansive game than we used to uh, like prepare against them. But um, it's no surprise because uh, seeing like the amount of uh, attacking plays that they had, uh, I was trying to sort of. So you and I have a history of playing chess every now and then uh, when he was at Tars. So yeah. We, you'd always try and get a few steps ahead of him. Um, so, yeah, it didn't surprise me at all where uh, there was a game we won right in the buzzer only because Cliffy managed to score a try, but we were losing because uh, Reds were just on the front foot all the time. But they also were tactical with, for example, the kickoff. Rather than kick to the pods, they just grub her in the middle and they send a quick guy to uh, regather it. Yeah. Just little things like that. So, uh, like the the bump behind the defensive line, sort of little kick over. No, just a grubber. Oh, uh, okay, yeah, 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 just a grubber because like we'd be in our pods ready to try and uh, catch it, but there was no one sort of marking the the midfield area. So, yeah, uh, it's just uh, it was just great to see from both playing with him, but also playing against him. Like uh, the the rugby spoke for itself, and also. Being under him uh, when he coached the Wallabies, like I thought he did you know, an excellent job as well. Look, he, he probably got shafted a little bit there. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, I'm not sure what happened off field, but uh, the main thing I could talk highly about him was um, more so when it came to like Wallaby games, uh, he'd just have a business mindset of saying, okay, strengths. Weaknesses, opportunities, threats. Yeah. Uh, just go do it. You're selected for a reason. Um, and yeah, I think it gave um, all the guys every ounce of confidence to uh, go out there and execute. So after Ewan, was it Michael Checker or was it? Correct. Yeah. yeah. So before Ewan, it was uh, Robbie Deans. Yeah. Um, he was great. Uh, just different sort of uh, mindset as well. Like, I think Australian cultures are like the mindset of Australians could be like very sort of like uh, how I describe it like always hard on yourself. Yeah. Whereas on the flip side, uh, experiencing a, a coach from across the ditch, they're quite the opposite. They're very like positively influenced. Uh, okay. Yeah. I, so I'm rather more more like looking at what you did badly, they'd look at what you did well. Correct. Or, or, or like we could do this better, but we did this well. 
Exactly that. And so, to be honest, like, I think it was quite a bit of a culture shock for guys because they're used to getting told off uh, yeah. for what they did wrong. Whereas, really, it's like, well, look what you did right. So, yeah, yeah it's just, uh, yeah, it's a really interesting concept. It took me a while to uh, get used to it, really, as well, being, uh, yeah, the typical Australian mindset. Um. So after Robbie, it was Michael Checker. Um, Sorry, it was Robbie, then Ewan, then Michael. That's right. That's right. So Michael Checker, what's he like? Emotional. Very highly emotional. Um, yeah, uh, hard on his sleeve. But in, in some ways, quite tactical as well. Um, he, he seemed, as an outsider looking in, and like we have – many mutual friends who who um you know you can say what you like about about michael he's he's a high achiever and he still took the tars to a super rugby final Mm -hmm. but it seemed like he had really good people around him yeah i think um uh uh, people that he knew and trusted because it's sort of like the main staff that he took uh, the Waratahs to the final with he sort of transferred across to uh, Wallaby level, uh, yeah. particularly when he got an, um, appointed uh, straight after uh, 2015. So, yeah, I think it was quite funny because, um, like, and quite quite the meteoric rise as well in terms of the World Cup in 2015. Uh, from there on, it's sort of just uh, like... It's like it plateaued because yeah. uh, 2016 England came over for a three series and whitewashed us. And obviously, we we're just trying to, uh, I think, reinvigorate our, our branding because yeah. we didn't have much time to prepare. So, yeah, uh, no, no, uh, can't fault Checker in terms of his approach. Um, definitely different from all the previous coaches that I've had before. But in saying that, it's where. Uh, I had to be good enough to sort of adapt and evolve to uh, fit that criteria as well. Um, I'm going to jump around a little bit because that's Go just the way my brain works, bro. So uh, apolo- apologies for that. How's your body? Uh, yeah, good question. Um, very good after not having to uh, play. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yeah, it's funny. Like um, I was just saying the other day, I've never felt so good. I haven't packed a scrum in three or four months. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, so the, funny you say that because when you stop playing, you actually realise uh, certain movements that your body's used to from playing that yeah. uh, after relaxing sort of needs attention. So, for example, because I'm a hooker, uh, I usually have to anteriorly rotate my left shoulder yeah. to win the shoulder battle or the shoulder height for the loose head. And for some reason, like I just kept favoring this shoulder. Like I thought I was doing like a little hundred percent jiggy dance or something, but um, it's where that's when I realized like, Oh geez, I need to rectify this. So yeah, I've been doing like scapular control for the past three months just because uh, I feel like, so uncoordinated at times. That your, pro- your, to... your traps probably rock hard as, as well. Oh, well, I mean, yeah, those odd things. 
Right they get in the way of a, many a thing. Uh, <laughs> you won't see me on the uh, catwalk anytime soon because of it. Oh, mate, you and me both. Hey, are you doing uh, any? Are you doing any training still? Yes. Uh, basically, uh, what I try and maintain is like a sort of routine where I just get up at five and uh, like I spend half an hour waking up and then heading to the gym, um, doing a bit of cardio for what, half so an hour. What are you, so you, you're just doing, doing cardio, not doing weights or anything like that anymore? Oh, so, so I do cardio weights in the morning. Yeah. And then uh, I do like a hit run. Oh, sorry, a hit session uh, in the evenings. So like a high intensity type. Yeah, interval, yeah. Uh, so it's just more so it helps me mentally more than uh, physically because uh, getting used to sitting uh, at the desk, uh, you get quite fidget- fidgety, uh, particularly when I'm studying at the moment. So I sort of uh, set 90-minute sessions and have a 20-minute break in between. Have you have you found it hard to be motivated? Now you don't have like a bronco test result you got to get or skinnies or, or any of that sort of stuff? Uh, yes and no. I think um, when I sort of gave myself that sabbatical, I just said, you know what, don't really care. But after that, I've sort of realised that I've been festively plump and need to sort of work it off. Yeah. Uh, yeah, only because uh, I feel like uh, I need to. Um, but at the same time, uh, what motivates me now is uh, not making the most of the day. I mean, yeah. We're quite fortunate, particularly this instance in COVID, that we're allowed to still get out of the house and go to different places and whatnot. So, I mean, yeah, I was going to ask you. I was going to ask you about that. I, I don't want to talk about COVID too much because I, th- I feel like it's everywhere. Yeah, um, mate. Have you have you kept in contact with any of your teammates in the UK? Because if you look at the way we're going, it seems like we've done a pretty good job of it. I Amazing. Think. Amazing job. Um, so I was there when I first started and we got locked down in March of 2020. Uh, they started to open up, uh, but because the numbers are still high, uh, unfortunately, uh, they had to go back to tighter restrictions. Uh, funny you talk about keeping in touch with the players. Uh, one of the players, or quite a few of the Leicester Tigers boys uh, contracted uh, the virus because initially they weren't believers, but when they did, they, were, they couldn't believe like how bad uh, it really was. So they had like fevers, uh, stomach aches. Basically, they lost a lot of weight, so they had to isolate themselves for 14 days and basically uh, try and put the weight back on as quick as possible. So I think um, it's, it's definitely there. And... Fortunately, well, unfortunately, that all the teammates got it. You just have to be a bit more uh, careful uh, wherever you go. What What have you learned in 2020? Uh, Pers- personally, professionally, life, any, any way uh, you want to... Test- how much time do you have? Uh, basically, day, well, I mean, when I first got back, um, I've realised how awesome it is uh, to be back under the circumstances, but still being able to go out and, and travel. I think uh, the rest, well, the Northern Hemisphere would be envious of the Southern Hemisphere because uh, obviously the, the virus uh, 
lives uh, better under the coldest uh, environments. But to to be able to get out of the house, that's like imagining what um, animals are like in the zoo. Oh, absolutely. Um, being locked up like that just for people to come and see you, it's like, yeah, you really feel sorry for those animals where I feel like starting a petition for like zoos in uh, Australia to have a bit more bloody landscape so yeah. animals can, yeah, just traverse around because, yeah, very unfortunate. So, yeah, I've learned that at the end of the day, uh, just make the most of what you've got right now. Um, I'm also very uh, gratuitous that I'm still alive. Um, yeah. Unfortunately, I've had a few relatives pass away from it as well. From so, from from COVID itself. Oh, I'm sorry yeah. to hear that, man. Ah, uh, it's all right. It happens. That was in America, so yeah. I, I guess uh, yeah. You just want to make sure that uh, empty the tank, as they say in rugby, uh, yeah. in life. Um, yeah, you don't know how good you got it until it's gone. It's um, oh, mate. I couldn't agree more. I've I've like you don't want to say it, but I actually kind of enjoyed. 2020 in a in a weird way like mm-hmm. it was it was a tough year but like personally i i got so much like learning well, about myself yeah and, all the main takings that i just want to do things that i enjoy <laughs> like uh, i've like that's why i'm doing this because yeah I, i've i wanted to do it for five years and right. if i'm being honest with you i've just been a complete pussy about it and Sort of worrying about, yeah, worrying yeah. about what other people think, and yeah. and I've decided this year I'm just going to do what I like. That's awesome, you know. And if like at the end of the day, if not another person listens to this, I still get to talk to you, which is yeah, you know, which is fucking fun. And no, but it's great. I think the that's half the problem, um, particularly in today's society, where a lot of uh, people just sit in their minds quite a fair bit rather than just getting out there and doing it and seeing if it works or not. Um, Because, yeah, I think a lot of us live more in fear than opportunity. So, 100%. And I've been like that for my whole life, basically. Well, not my whole life, but in things I haven't fully done what I've wanted to do. Right. um, For various reasons, but I'm going to have a go at it now. No, no, it's great. Mate, uh, I'll tell you what, if you need a hand, you just let me know. Mate, I'll definitely take you up on that. No, for sure. Um, another thing I wanted to ask you yep. is I wanted to go into a bit of detail about the mental side of things. Um, I, I've, I've just started coaching, and to me, that's far more interesting than playing. But did you ever do any mental work while you were playing, did you see a sports psychologist or meditate or, or any of that kind of stuff? Or was it all pretty natural to you? Uh, to be honest, uh, I actually uh, outsourced a counsellor um, only because, like, uh, I decided to sort of not involve myself in relationships just because uh, I actually prioritise travelling the world. Yeah. So uh, rather than sort of, like, taking up someone's time um, in space, I could just pay for it and hopefully uh, they can sort of guide me in some direction of sorts. Did, did that help? Has that oh, helped you? Massively, because 
um, what creeps into your mind is self-doubt. And the more you can actually talk to someone about it, um, the, the, the release of stress, uh, uh, it feels so good to like be relieved of that. Yeah. Uh, and I started quite young, uh, around 23 years old. Basically, I just was like, I was questioning myself whether I was good enough, even though I was at Wallaby level. Yeah. But I was still good enough to keep playing uh, at that level. So, yeah, I outsourced this counsellor um, and she's been great because at the end of the day, um, she made me realise that uh, why is it that you're purely focused on rugby when uh, the grass is greener everywhere you go? So, yeah, it sort of broadened my horizon in terms it- of... Uh, yeah. So I'm just saying, I I think it's I think it's awesome you did that. Do do many guys do that? Is is that is that sort of the norm, or or are most guys sort of a bit insular with that type of thing? Because yeah, yeah. We, we've got a few mutual friends who who are also professional rugby players, and yeah. I know they're very open about um, seeking help for the mental side of things. Yeah. Um. Is that is it normal, or is it a bit bit unusual? Uh. So. I got introduced to it by Ewan uh, when I first signed up with the Waratahs. He actually had a sports psychologist working with the team. And Which would have been unusual at the time. For me, it was because I, yeah. I didn't realise uh, that that was required. But then um, the more sort of sessions I had with him, it's like, oh, that makes sense because uh, the game is actually more mental than it is physical. Um, so in order to... Uh, work on the physical side while you're neglecting the mental side. Um, So, yeah, for me, it's quite valuable. And as you said, we have mutual friends um, that uh, may use the service or not, but I think rugby is getting to the point where they see it's quite pivotal in terms of not only um, moving the game forward, but also moving uh, the players' welfare forward because the only... Only just now have I seen a sports psychologist uh, in the Wallaby level. Only now. Yeah, yeah. That um, that seems amazing to me. Yeah, uh, I think the the coaches take their own sort of path with it because yeah. I guess a lot of it's got to do with the the intrinsic mo- motivation that they provide. Yeah. So yeah, but it can only go so far. So that's where I feel like. Um, when mental, when it comes to mental training, you're not just training how your brain processes things. You're actually trying to make it conscious rather than unconscious. Yeah. For example, you can learn to pass a ball, but under pressure, can you learn how to pass that same ball? Well, I was, I was going to bring up the example of um, you know throwing a line. Did you play in the World Cup final that you guys made? Yes. Throwing a line out in a World Cup final, mm-hmm. you got you got to hit the tail ball because um, yep. you're going for a try. What goes through? Well, like that's a pretty high pressure sort of thing. Um, yeah. Like, what do you think? How how do you do? You have a process for that, or is it is it go back to your process? Or yeah, like usually you sort of uh, do enough training to go through types of scenarios like that. At the same time, uh, I have this process of like get to the mark have a breath get your hands ready 
listen to the call and then throw. So so you're yeah. not you're so you're not you're shutting out all the the outside noise of the crowd, the Correct. World Cup final, the pressure of someone yelling at me if I fuck yeah. this throw up. Well, well, what's good was listening to the call actually brought you to the present. So you you sort of had to shut everything out to uh, listen to the call, which was great. Mind you, I, I did miss a, a couple on the final, but uh, they weren't sort of pivotal moments, unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, in saying that, uh, I think uh, when it comes down to pressure moments, uh, they're all created by the person thinking about it. So Rather than the actual situation itself. Yeah. So, so what's, what's that old saying? Um, I'm an old man and I've known many troubles, but most of them have never come true. True. Yeah. Um, what, what's your memories of the final? Was it obviously a, probably a big moment in your life? Uh, did you did you enjoy it? Were you miserable afterwards? I actually enjoyed the journey. Um, so, what many people don't know is that uh, Michael Checker issued us diaries, and basically, he issued us he issued us these diaries a hundred days before uh, the World Cup final. So, sort of like a sort of a calendar sort of diary? like like No, just a journal okay. uh, or just a, an, an empty book. Yeah. Basically, all you had to do was fill in like uh, something that was useful or practical for you in that book to sort of uh, build up towards uh, the final. Um, and... Unfortunately, I don't have that book, but I remember every single uh, note that I took uh, in the 100 days leading up to it because uh, that's what sort of made it pretty special. You sort of see the little um, improvements every day at training lead up yeah. to like a big occasion. So I think uh, if, if I could put it in an analogy, it's like planting a seed, like a, whatever vegetable. And then you just record it for a hundred days, and just see the evolution of that. Um, yeah. What, what, uh, what, happened, what happened to the diary? Uh, so basically, I took it out after the final. Um, read uh, read every um, page, and then uh, sort of uh, threw it uh, into the river. Oh, real? Really? Oh, only yeah. because like uh, it belonged there. Um, I didn't want to sort of carry it back with me uh, as a memento. Yeah. So it was more more like a reflection of the the memory. So you're going to have that memory for the rest of your life, and 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 it's your memory. It's not to be shared, kind of thing. Also, it's more so uh, to learn from that experience of how could I imply all this build up to other things in life as well, which is great. Where where did you guys do your camp before that one? It was a big. It was an American university. Yes. Uh, so before that, um, uh, in Australia, we got uh, taken to Kangaroo Island, um, and I think it was more so about just getting to understand each other uh, on a personal basis. But also, we went to Fort Denison. Okay. Um, yep. Yeah, and uh, basically uh, he asked us why, why we play the game over there. And that, that was pretty much sort of like 
um, how to describe it, like the, the motto of the journey. Um, everyone had a different type of why, why they play the game. And that's what sort of motivated them to like bring the best out of them. But then, uh, so we had a test before the World Cup over in Chicago. But yeah, we did have a uh, bit of a brutal uh, pre-season camp over in uh, the University of Notre Dame over in okay. uh, Indiana. Well, that would have been yeah. pretty. That would have been pretty cool. Yeah, very um, interesting setup. Like it's just one how big it is, unbelievable. But over there, a lot of the buildings are donated by former alumni. Um, so yeah, I'm not too sure how it works over there. I think because over there, uh, I think they've got a sort of tax scheme where if you donate a building, um, you can use like capital gains from property that you purchase to pay it off. So okay. that's why a lot of the buildings are donated from like formal alumni students. Sorry, mate. Yeah, uh, but no, can, can like, you hear me? yeah. Yeah. Okay. Cool. 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 Good experience. Um, I actually wanted to see like um, the marching band practice, but unfortunately we couldn't get uh, us off the premises there. But yeah, so the time we played the um, the Eagles, um, Notre Dame were playing uh, the Longhorns at the oh, yeah. stadium. Yeah, so which probably would have been five times bigger. Oh yeah, literally like. Uh, so we left on the Friday and you can see all these like big um, like truck tra- truck trailers coming through to get set up for the uh, game. Mate, um, I've got, I have an uncle that works for, uh, I think, one of the big sports companies in Europe. And he said part of their gig is selling TV rights for like college football, English Premier League. And right. he said the, the, big, the biggest revenue for their company is college sports in America. Yeah, so, uh, it's billions. Um, and to be honest, like it doesn't surprise me, just because of the the numbers that they get uh, to college. Um, it, well, any, any business magnate with half a brain would probably sell their products oh, over absolutely. there. Absolutely. Yeah, Under Armour have made a killing from college football alone. Oh, I'd, I'd imagine so. I'd imagine yeah. so. Yeah. Um, I'm going to change the subject just a little bit because my brain's. Sweet. Go for it. You, so you studied while you were playing? I did. Um, done an undergrad more... in... Uh, Sorry, you go, you go. I did an undergrad um, in IT, finished in 07. But what I knew then was I like, don't need it anymore because it's obsolete. But yeah. I decided to sort of uh, pursue business. So I got my diploma in that and then just finishing off, like currently studying an MBA for the time being. Uh, in business administration. So that's so that's how you feel in your days at the moment. Full time being yes, but um, also uh, learning um, a bit of excuse me, a bit of Spanish. Oh yeah, can, yeah. Can you speak uh, any other? Can you speak any other languages? Uh, yeah, I've got a bit of fluency in Japanese. Okay, but it's more so uh, like very. Um, informal, yeah. Just because I I learn listening to uh, guys of the Japanese. Can you can uh, you speak any can you speak any Tongan or anything like that? Oh, sorry. Yeah. Well, uh, English is my second language. Yeah. Um, 
So you grew up in a household speaking Tongan? Tongan, correct. And uh, you got punished if you didn't, which is. I think it's a. I think it's a good thing because it's. Yeah. it's I got a lot of Tongan mates who don't speak Tongan. Oh really? Yeah. Yeah. I, I feel like having that connection to your heritage would only be a good thing. Well, put it this way, Duncan. Like, um, you get to a point where, like, if worst case scenario, touch wood, um, someone dies and you're the oldest in the family, yeah, you sort of have to like uh, speak on behalf of your family to the rest of the families that show up. So. Uh, I understand, like, uh, some families don't make it as, uh, like, strict as they, uh, as my mum did. But at the same yeah. time, I thank her every single day because of it. Um, but I sort of get my English grammar mixed up with my Tongan grammar. So, oh, but, that, but that's all right. Like, uh, everyone understands, which is good. So, um, yeah. But- what are you going to use the MBA for? Did you are you going to get into your own business? Did did you want to work for someone? What's yeah. what's the plan? Yeah, the plan is to try and get uh, my own business of sorts. Like you, uh, I'm still trying trying to figure out what department, but I might start off with like a little takeaway shop just to see how that goes. But then um, just learning the different facets of the uh, like business um, venture. It's quite interesting. Um, didn't know how much goes into play, particularly if you're a sole trader of sorts. But it's Yeah, I, I always looked at when I was like, I'm still kind of working for people, but w- when I first started working for myself, mm-hmm. then, oh, I'm living the dream. I've got my own business and you're doing 70 to 80 hours yeah. a week. Yeah. I mean, a great, a great example is your lovely mother where you, she's got well, the exactly coffee right. Yeah, exactly, so. exactly right. Shout out to the coffee van. Yeah, massive shout out. And she, uh, she works her ass off. Well, I'll tell you what, it's a great brew of coffee that she makes too. So yeah, she she um she's one of the few people I've met that is an absolute perfectionist. So she would be thrilled to hear you say that. And um, I'll definitely pass that on. No, I appreciate that. Thanks. It's, um, mate, I'm not going to keep you too much longer. I really appreciate your time. No, no, it's fine. Mate, fire away. I've got um, just some random questions I'm going to ask you. Go for it. Do you read much? Love reading. What books, what kind of books do you like? Uh, I don't mind a bit of fiction, um, but at the same time, uh, sort of going through this new venture of life, um, started reading upon sort of um, like, uh, what else? Um, like motivation, not motivational books, more so like things that uh, people like give back to the community as a past experience. Yeah, uh, I don't know how you call that, like welfare books or something. It's like, like that. um, like a businessman passing on what they know, kind yeah. of thing. So, for example, um, I read um Robert Kiyosaki's uh, Rich Dad Poor Dad. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, great book. Basically, um, it's like a multi-millionaire giving back what he, he learned as a kid. Um, but he was fortunate enough to sort of have a juxtaposition of a, a well-educated father, but a fa- another father who's his mate's father. Didn't know much, but knew a little bit of everything. But he ended up being uh, the richer dad uh, because of that 
So, yeah, yeah it just explains why. So, uh, books like that. Um, yeah. Uh, if I had a favourite book, I must say that there's so many, but to narrow it down to, say, two, I'd say one of them is The Book Thief by Marcus Azusa. Which one? The Book Thief? Yeah. Okay, I haven't heard of that one. Who's who's that boy? Marcus Zuzak. Okay, is that a fiction? Uh, is that a fiction book or non-fiction? Yeah, uh, I'm not too sure. I think there were like elements of uh, true, so like based on a true story type thing. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, basically, it was set on World War Two. Um, okay. Really, really written. Um, so, have have you read the Da Vinci Code? Yeah, loved it. Loved yeah, it. I, re- I read it over Christmas. Loved it. Oh, so and I feel like the movie does not do it any justice because it missed so many awesome yeah. points. Like uh, my favorite point about that book is um, the divine proportion. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what they call it, fee or something. Uh, it's the, it's the the what's the guys? It's a famous painting. I've seen it. Oh, the Vitruvian Man. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And yes. Yeah. And what's the divine proportion? It's like three point. I can't even remember what it is, but I reckon I'd recommend anyone to read that book. The oh, book's definitely. so much better than the movie. And yeah. I, I got it like last time I was in Europe, I got a little bit into it. And a lot of the stuff he mentions is based on facts. real. Yeah. So um, it's, so it makes the story like better, I think. Yeah, yeah. And it's like somewhat um attainable like, yeah yeah also uh the other book angels and demons yeah that's a good book um, too yeah great book like I, i've actually been fortunate enough to go through the vatican um and did even you, uh, underneath did, the terms did you enjoy it oh loved it but it was kind of ironic that you see a lot of poor people around it and yeah they still don't get help so but um yeah I, interesting tour i i thought uh I thought the Vatican was one of the most amazing places I've ever been. Why is that? Uh, I, I always had this thing about Rome. Like for me, Rome was like that sort of dream romantic type place. And then like, I'm not religious at all, but mm-hmm. you feel it when you're there, if that Fair makes enough. sense. And yeah. then the when you walk into the Sistine Chapel to think that a guy painted that on his back, uh, yeah. you know, I, I'd, like I met a couple of people who didn't like Rome, and yeah, I just I struggled with those type of people. Yeah, and I feel like um, they've quite blinkered because they've been either they've been educated or uh, they've yeah heard some malicious rumors about it where they don't want to be believed. Um, unfortunately for them, like when you see it right there, it's like how can you not like? You feel, you feel you feel something there, and yeah, and I don't know what it is, but it's it's very noticeable when you're there. Uh, uh, what was your favorite part? Like apart from the Sistine, do you, uh, do you get, go underneath? I, I did. I did. I've been three times now. The oh, nice. the, the first time I went, uh, John Paul had just passed away. Oh wow! And I went past. So they'd only just put his tomb in underneath where the, the tomb of the popes was. Yeah. And um you know, I think I was eighteen at the time, just a dumb 
this is a dumb kid and I'm walking past this was in the days before smartphones and yeah, so you yeah. had to have the, the handheld map to work your way around kind of thing. And also, and also the uh, digital camera that that's yeah. right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I had all that and I've, I've gone past it and there was probably a line 200 meters long um, for people that wanted to just sort of kiss, kiss his tomb or just be, be near him. And mate, that, that was, it blew me away to be honest with yeah. you. what about you what about you what did you did you have so did you do much travel when you're at leicester uh not necessarily Uh, was this more just from rugby tours over the years yeah definitely from rugby tours because uh we were fortunate enough that we got to play in rome because usually uh most of the rugby teams are up north yeah um so yeah when we did uh most lads uh took to either the Colosseum or to, yeah, yeah, the Vatican, which is great. Um, But so recalling from the book, I loved how I wanted to try and get to all the four different points on the map as well um, that they mapped out, but unfortunately didn't have enough time. So, yeah, uh, actually, uh, what's the, there's a place, it's like an observatory. Uh, in the Vatican? No, I'll, I think just or near do the you lo- like with the old ruins? Yeah, yeah, Palatine Hill. Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. Um, the, um, I, when I went past there, I was like, "Holy shit!" They made that back in the day. It's like yeah. it's quite you amazing just, what they you could imagine. Hey? Yeah. So that's no, um, awesome. Where where's your favorite touring location? Ah, uh, nah, you can't ask me that. It's too many. <laughs> well, I mean, so it's. It's like trying different cuisines, really. Like yeah. I don't, I, I don't have a favorite cuisine because you just like them all. <laughs> well, I mean, it's sort of uh, you sort of have to picture yourself being there and the ingredients that they had at the time to yeah. use. So, um, yeah, I mean, where do you start? Like uh, going to so yeah, I've never. I actually haven't had pizza since going to Italy last. It ruins it for you. Well, yeah, but like seeing how they make it over there is totally different from how they make it over here. Yeah. But like the base, the base just like over there, it's like for some reason it's perfect, like not too crusty, but not too doughy either. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think they get mixed up with the proportions over here but um actually uh one thing i discovered over there was uh dried mullet roe oh yeah they call yeah, it targa no i didn't have that all right so basically that. they dry it and it becomes like something you can grate yeah um massive fan ever since and truffles oh my oh, god oh yeah yeah <laughs> yeah yeah Mate, right. if you if you like food, Italy is pretty hard to beat as a place to go. Correct. Yeah. Um, but went... also, sorry. Uh, you can. Uh, when you traverse throughout the whole place, uh, they've got their own take in terms of like yep. their pestos, their uh, Napolitans. There's different the... pizzas. To... Oh, look, so I spent a few months uh, in just outside of Milan. Oh, nice. Uh, and... North. Yep, north, a uh, little town called Piacenza. 
it uh oh. yeah it ended probably a little too briefly but oh, uh, uh, mate, in hindsight it's a good thing but I, I ended up going around sort of italy for 10 weeks and you get very very fat if you if you enjoy your gelato your pizza and your pasta you get and your wine you get very very fat very quickly yeah i was gonna say how do they do it i have not mate so we i so i played for this little team in the syria top 10 or whatever it's called mm-hmm. and on on um you'd have like a team run on the friday before a game yep. and I, i'd always go to this cafe to get a double espresso and i walk in and there'd be these ambulance workers who are mid-shift sharing a bottle of sparkling white wine and a pizza <laughs> at like 10 10 30 in the morning and um i was just going and they were still working I, I i'd ask the guy and work work is very low on the italian uh priority list <laughs> so well it's, uh, they, it's not even a priority when you go further south no well no, i reckon it's it's probably sport food uh, your mistress, your family, then your wife. <laughs> you know, and then you know, fifth, you know, your extra income stream, and then your job after that. <laughs> oh, don't forget the um, what they call it, those orange drinks. Oh, oh the uh, uh, I had I had a thousand of them. Uh, the yeah. spritzes, aperol spritz. Spritzes, yeah, yeah, aperol spritz. Yeah, jeez. <laughs> I'll tell you what, uh, one of my mates uh, used to play over there. In, um, the, he started off in Viadana, but went up north to um, Chaka. Oh, yeah. Uh, mate, oh, all, all I remember was being on a drip bag full of bloody splits. <laughs> that's so good. Oh, yeah. man. man that's, that probably uh, contributed, contributed to my downfall from that rugby. <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, no such thing. Oh, yeah. We'll, we won't talk about that. Anyway, a couple more questions. Sure. Um, are you a documentary guy? Uh, good question. Um, to be honest, I haven't had much time to sort of uh, watch any TV, uh, let alone documentary, so to speak. But I am quite a massive fan of documentaries, uh, particularly uh, of the National Geographic type. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, David Attenborough, uh, take your hat off to you. What a legend. Great narrator. Um, but also, uh, like, I'll describe it. It was from there that, that I watched, uh, like, chefs going around the world trying yep. different street food. It's like Anthony Bourdain. Yeah. So Pretty what, similar, my, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, exactly that. So, I mean, that, yeah, like, you try and emulate that, but I don't think you. It's pretty hard. It's just, pretty hard at yeah. the moment. No, that's um, right. What's your favourite drink? If you could have any drink in the world, alcoholic, non-alcoholic. <sighs> drink. Um, <laughs> uh, so, alcoholic, I'd probably say um, a gin martini. Okay. Actually, uh, there's something called a highball martini where, um, yeah, it's gin-based, but rather than serving it in, like, the normal uh, martini glasses, serve it in the short glass, uh, but more um, vermouth. Jeez, I'll okay. tell you what, vermouth is delicious. 
I've, I've, I've never had a good gin experience. All right. Yeah, never, ever. Have you ever had a gin martini? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, maybe I'll have to try it again now I'm a bit older because I, I never liked whiskey until maybe six months ago. All right. So, so maybe it's one of those things that as you get older. A single malt? Yeah. Yeah. A favorite? Um, I tried Glen Morangi. Nice. Because my, my granddad would drink it, and I thought that, that was the only one I knew. So I'm like, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll try that. Are you, are you a whiskey drinker? Oh, he's a Pope Catholic. Um, yeah, basically, uh, I'm actually a big fan of Japanese whiskey. Okay. Um, like, don't get me wrong, I love the Highland Scotches as well. Yeah. But to, uh, you can't sort of compare the whiskeys. It's more so uh, just different uh, orientation of, like, um, taste. Japanese whiskey seems very neat. Yeah, where uh, Highland uh, is quite um, peaty, but still enjoyable. Um, do you, don't tell me you, you use rocks, do you? My, I got a. Did you meet Pony when you played us earlier in the year? Pony, Pony. Rob, Rob James. He's he probably yeah, had a, yeah. he probably had yeah. a beer with us at, at some point, yeah. and he's a real whiskey. Sort Why of do you call him Pony? Because uh, his brother's name's Horse. Oh, what? <laughs> yeah, his brother. Oh, he's. Look, his, his brother was a maniac that I played cults with and right. kind of drifted off. And then it was just one of those nicknames that just took. I think he hated oh, it right. to start with. So. <laughs> and um, he he is a real whiskey wanker. And um, yeah, there's little the rocks he put in the freezer. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah. You, you're not, oh, no, you know, no, just any rocks. Like, you know, how they scotch on the rocks. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I'm still, mate. I'm still not across it. I, I kind of aim for that fifty, sixty dollar mark, and uh, anything, <laughs> anything above that, I, I don't feel like I appreciate it. Yeah. Fair um, enough. Just to finish, I got a couple yeah. more questions for you. I really, thank you for this, man. No, no, no I'm doing some reading on you. A reading on you, and you, you have a cousin that was in the WWF. <laughs> is, is, is that right? Uh well, he was in the WWF, yes. Um, well, basically, um, he started off as a similar wrestler. Okay. And then when he went to Hawaii to do an exhibition there, um, someone introduced him to like professional wrestling over there. Just so happened to be bloody uh, Rocky Johnson. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. So um, basically, he joined up with uh, Rocky Johnson on, on the road uh, doing their wrestling gigs. And yeah, so happened to uh, have uh, a bit of guidance for the rock as well. Okay, uh, that, that's pretty cool. So, so he was yeah. one of he would would have been sort of a mentor to, to the rock, maybe. Yeah, pretty much. So one of well, his dad's friends, and yeah. And the funny thing was, like uh, when the rock first started wrestling, he had no costume, and uh, so happened he called up my cousin uh, to uh, lend him a pair of his. Uh, like purple trunks yeah so yeah and then uh about five years ago the rock turns up to his house with a brand new ute and i uh, said hey you like my ute it's like oh, this is my cousin said yeah looks yeah. nice I said well it's yours um basically he wanted yeah he cool. wanted to thank him for providing the uh trunks back in the day yeah, he seems like a good dude the rock yeah well um so uh the cousin that you mentioned, um, 
he doesn't know this, but my favorite wrestler was the Ultimate Warrior, and his first title defense was against my cousin. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> so you got you were betting against your cousin? Yeah, pretty much. But uh, I said, oh, yeah, oh no, not too much. That type of stuff. So, yeah. What was uh, what was his wrestling name? Uh, King Haku. King Haku. Uh, for, okay. He also made a an appearance in WCW. Oh yeah, uh, as Ming. So okay, cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Matt, that's pretty interesting. Um, <laughs> last thing I want to ask you, and I'll let you go. Who's the best player you ever played with or against? I oh, actually two questions. Who's the best player off field that you ever played with or against, and who's the best player on field? And they can be the same person. Uh, wow. I'd have to toggle because um, there's so many. Um, I'd probably say off-field um, would have to be um, Dan Vickerman. Off-field? Off off-field. Off-field? Um, like, just puts on a massive, like, uh, uh, bravado on field, but such a gentle giant off the field, and yeah. very articulate as well. Um, yeah, it's pretty tragic when he passed away as well. Um, yeah, absolutely, yeah. Uh, but I had a lot like he, he was a, a big reason why I sort of uh was successful today because he helped me a lot with uh my line out throwing. Um, so, so yeah. um, one of our mutual friends, uh, Dan Palmer. I think he he was probably in the Tars around the time Vickerman was exiting, yep. Yep. and he said that um, he was a lovely guy off off field, but on field, if you fucked up your roll on the line out or you missed a throw, you heard about it. Oh, so so he did this to both me and Adam Fryer uh, in the one game. It was against the Reds. So, tough. Do you want me to? Let you control the line out. You know how to throw it over to my way, you fucking piece of shit. <laughs> and he chased me for two, like two minutes around the field, just letting me know that. During the okay. middle of the play. Yeah. I came off. <laughs> um, this was 2008. I remember. Yeah. It was the last game against the Reds. Um, yeah. And then Adam went on because uh, I broke my hand. And then Adam missed the line out too. <laughs> and you can just see, Adam. I thought Tatafu was bad, but you stink. <laughs> and he's just chasing around for five minutes until yeah. the next break. And it's like, oh, wow, yeah. And Dan was so spot on with that comment. Um, because not many people realise how passionate um, Dan was, not just with rugby, but like everything. Um, like, there's a reason why he smoked. It's because, like, it was just what he knew growing up. Growing up. And yeah. Like, I couldn't care less if you smoked and I was just more so whether you do the job. And, like, the goal would be first thing, uh, first person at training, just studying line outs where the opportunities would be and last to leave. So, yeah, and that's, that, uh, that's the ethic I try and sort of uh, live up to uh, throughout the rest of my living days. Beautiful. Um, what what on about field? on field? Yeah. Jeez. Um, yeah. I mean, Wow, it's a good question because because you played against everyone, really. 
Yeah, but also like with certain guys, um, like it was pretty hard to sort of. Should I should I make it easier for you? Yeah. Who's the who's the best hooker you ever played against? Best hooker I've played against. Uh, there were two. Um, Bismarck did pussy. Oh yeah. Um, and also um, uh, William Servat of France. The, the French, the French guy. Yeah. Actually, I actually have to say both French hookers that were playing there were um, uh, good hookers because William was the bigger type. Yeah. And there was uh, Dmitry Zaziski. Yeah. Um, who's like a small type but really mobile around the paddock. And like, tell you what, bloody hell. Uh, I've never seen a bloody good looking hooker like he is. He's a handsome man. <laughs> oh, tell you what, Fabio, move out of the way, mate. Yeah. Um, no, but, it, um, in, in, uh, terms, in terms of scrummaging? Or, or is uh, it just, just as rugby players in general? Well, um, Bismarck and William in scrummaging. Yeah. Um, and obviously, Bismarck was a big boy. So for him to get around the paddock was quite remarkable. Um, but even uh, with Dimitri, uh, like, uh, he was as quick as a winger. Um, so catching him was like, yeah, you'd be fortuitous if you did. So, yeah. Beautiful, mate. Actually, I've got one more thing to ask you. Go for if, it. If you could give advice to 18-year-old you, what would you say? Uh, yeah. If I was to look at 18-year-old me, I'd say... Um, don't be afraid of uh, failing um, because failing is a massive part of success. I was sort of hesitant at first uh, coming into the rugby arena of um, fucking up or making a mistake so much that that's where my whole sort of procrastinating started because I'd always, I'd always talk myself into the fact that I was never good enough. And what am I still doing here? So if, if I was talking to my 18-year-old self, I would be saying, you know what? Uh, at the end of the day, everyone fails. But it's what you do to make it a success. And if you can take that into every single aspect, not just uh, talking with your friends, uh, school, business, life, um, even going for walks, like, uh, it's okay to like fall down every minute, once in a while. It's just the hardest part of getting back up and doing it again. Um, mate, that's a beautiful way to finish. Are oh, you going to have a run around fourth grade again this year, or are you? Yeah. Um, done. Oh, to be honest, like, uh, so I've, like you, I've actually taken um, the level three coaching um, course. I haven't done my level threes. Is that is that worth doing? I think I think it is because uh, you sort of get a bit more um, tailored into which area uh, you want to sort of coach. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, like I'm only doing it just to expand my sort of um, learning as well because I actually prefer being a, a player coach as opposed to a proper coach. Yeah. Um, yeah. Whereas. Uh, if you sort of 
it's, so we had we've had two sessions. Uh, we watched the Wallabies on the second session. And to be honest, I actually stayed and watched the backs because I've never been able to see what yeah. the backs do. Yeah, um, for sure. So fascinating. Um, so this it's, was a game. They do host, fuck all, don't they? Well, <laughs> I thought they did, but yeah. to be honest, like. Uh, I'm glad I was a forward because the amount of running they do in their <laughs> session. Yeah, true. Um, so, for example, this is a game post Argentina Newcastle, but preparing for Argentina um, at Frank West. They realised that because Argentina play a high line, there's a bit of gap, a bit of space uh, behind. Yeah. So the backs had to um, play two pass touch with three tackles that you must put a kick in somewhere. Okay. So it was making them work uh, to identify where the space was, but also not forgetting uh, to play rugby as well. So, yeah, I thought it was a great concept to sort of be a part of because as a forward, it's like, you don't really... You never, you never think yeah, about it. No, you're just worried about what the call is in the liner and uh, getting on song with the call of the scrum. So... Yeah, it was very fascinating. And um, also, uh, so Scott Wisemantle is the um, attack coach. He presented to us about um, just like coaching philosophies. Important to have one. How you mould it, you let the um, game be your teacher. Uh, what he means by that is nothing goes... Uh, ever according to plan. So it's more so how you can uh, bring structure to chaos. Um, oh, sorry, from chaos as opposed to playing uh, 80 minutes worth of chaos uh, is what he was trying to sort of uh, pass on to us, which is great. Yeah, that's beautiful. So are you, yeah. you going to jump in and help um, two blues this year? Uh, maybe. I think uh, I actually want to get, I actually want to get away from the game just to, yeah. Um, give this uh, sort of new chapter a proper go because at the end of the day, like, I still believe rugby will be there. Um, yeah. but it's more about ho- hoping to sort of get some sort of footprint um, in the in the current world, and then hopefully once that starts to build, then which is probably a good thing. Like oh, I've seen, and you've probably seen it as well. These guys that. All they have is rugby and, yeah. you know. Oh, the yeah. amount of times, yeah. So, for example, Duncan, like, the amount of times, don't get me wrong, it, it's not a bad thing. The guys will be on video games, which is great. Mm. I, I encourage it. Um, it's, but when they're constantly on it, like, the, the sort of false sense of security with that is, like, they won't be there once rugby's done because... Everyone's got their lives to live. Yeah. So, yeah, hopefully if they can, like, pull in small doses, by all means, you know, continue it. But I'm fortunate enough that, like, I sort of got a bit of taste of, like, real life itself. So, yeah, like, I didn't sort of have to rely on trying to catch up with guys. It's more about discovering uh, the world myself. And that yeah. required me to motivate myself to do it. Which is a, it's a pretty good way of looking at it, to be, to be fair. Yeah, um, man, I could talk to you all day. Uh, no. I, re- I really appreciate this, man. Um, no, if you fine, one of the mate, I probably 
the boys, the fourth grade boys, were thrilled to play against you this year. Why is that? Uh, it, look, most of them, they're all great blokes, but most of them are pretty much obliterated by the time first grade run on. So, yeah. they've, you know, we've, we've had guys that have played for the Wallabies at the club, but yeah. you know, very few of them have actually been sort of on the field where, where any professional player um, was playing and, yeah. and um, you know, having beers after the game. And they, they, some of the boys still talk about it. Did, do you remember Dane? Bastard. Yeah, day to yeah. day. Oh, yeah. I love the stuff you do with like um, the is it pack? Yeah, the Pig Athletic Club. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh, so. That's amazing. He's a he's a character, but um, he's going. He goes to me. He's he's kind of like he's he's a great bloke. Don't get me wrong, but he's got a bit of a sense of where he's at, which probably isn't in touch with reality. <laughs> <laughs> and. He's going, oh, all these rugby players are following me now. <laughs> so he's become sort of semi-famous. <laughs> oh, it's so good. So, so I promised one of the boys I'd, I'd challenge you for him to a char- charity boxing fight because I think he would absolutely shit himself once he hears this. <laughs> <laughs> so, mate, if, you, if you're keen, let us know and I'll, I'll arrange that. No, by all means. Like... Uh, <laughs> uh, I must say, uh, he came on in the second half, right? Yeah. He played. Because, yeah, I remember looking at him. I'm like, uh, did, what? did you? No. You're like, what's that front row was standing on the wing? <laughs> yeah, no, but could you be the Dane that offered the challenge? <laughs> <laughs> no, but like, so moments like that, um, Duncan, you. So what I try to tell my fourth grade guys is that no squad will ever be the same. Um, it always changes, but that's life. It's what you put into it is what hopefully it comes back out in spades. So um, what I've enjoyed about last year was teaching them just simple things like uh, there's they didn't know that um, you know how like teams work with home structures. Yeah. Yeah, they didn't know that was a concept in rugby. Like, here, they, here they thought that was just like, okay, you just go around okay. the same way and then go around the same way. It's like, guys, listen, you go here. Whenever you finish an activity, just go back here because, one, you save energy. Two, you actually make us spread the field because at the end of the day, you the, 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 the defence cannot... Um, cover all of us. So the more uh, wider we look, the less, the, the more gaps uh, will be provided. And they just look so dumbfounded. It's like, why the hell have we, are we only learning this now? And these are guys I used to play with uh, from the start of uh, Turdlers. So I, I think we haven't done well in terms of recruit, recruitment, in terms of coaching, but at the same time, it's never too late to learn. So um, and, 100%. Yes, but the boys took it to it so well that, like, they what they tried to do was try and teach the Colts boys that. But unfortunately, the Colts uh, were quite meticulous with their coaching. Um, but uh, it's just it's the, the satisfaction of seeing the guys' faces after, like, uh, implying that from training to the rugby paddock and getting a win. 
uh, yeah, that, that's that's what that's why I enjoy doing it. So I'm sure you do the same when you uh, helped out. The oh, hundred percent, mate. Let me ask 100%. you this. Hundred percent. I've yeah. Sorry. Um. What, so, at what point did you know when to retire? Um. I probably should have, if I'm being really honest with myself, I probably yeah. should have retired in 2018. I had decided to stop playing tight head prop and wanted to play hooker. And mostly because I was just struggling with my body. Yeah. Just my back. I've just had back pain. And and it was one of those things that no one could ever, uh, just everywhere, to be honest. But it was, it was one of those things no one ever diagnosed because I've, I've kind of, I've, Mostly just lack of control through your hip region and probably not being strong enough. But this year we had a good coach, um, Todd, yeah, uh, who you know. And mm-hmm. I thought, you know what? I've never had this in my rugby career. I'm going to have a go. And I got really fit. I got really strong for the first time in my life and I was going really well. Yeah. And I had a concussion in the trial against West Harbour before the COVID shutdown, which wasn't mm-hmm. too bad. Yep. And then we, we went through all the shutdowns and came back to full contact training after the, you know, the period where you were just training on your own. Yep. And I took a hit that was a nothing hit. And I had sort of problems with my head for about six weeks. And I looked at it and went, Oh, and so I was out for six weeks, no exercise at all. Went from being the fittest in my life, training in the first grade team. Mm -hmm. And around that time when I was coming back, Harry McLennan, one of the young guys at South, had a career-ending injury. And um, fantastic fellow. He's he's very lucky that that he's going to be completely okay. The seven? And I looked at – yeah, the seven. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Great player, yeah. Off, you know, even and an even better black too, which was which just made it worse. And yeah, and I looked, I looked at it and I went, I'm 32, I'm playing third grade. I've pretty much, you know, I haven't done what I wanted to, but I've had so much fun. Mm. Like, just get to the end of it, and that's that's it. Like the juice wasn't worth the squeeze anymore. Yeah, yeah. If that make if that makes sense. No, it totally makes sense, and that's where I think the six months sabbatical for me made me realize like. Yeah, the juice is definitely not worth the squeeze because uh, stories like that um, make you realise like you've been fortunate that there's not many people get a, a tenure of professional rugby like I have. So um, quit while you're winning, uh, but at the same time, like so many more things in life that I want to achieve, just like you. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it sort of gave me like a clear um, decision just to go, you know what? I've had my time. It's been great. And, and, you know and you've, you've come out the other side and, and correct. And, and you know, you, you know, like, I, 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 could, I can't imagine you have any regrets. Uh, actually, I sort of did when, um, like around the Robbie Dean's area. Because he said I was the number one hooker. I still yeah. stepped out of myself, unfortunately, to the point where I did myself injustice and kept getting injured. So, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's, 
one of those it's one of those things i'm sure like like all, all high achievers you probably wouldn't have got to where you got to if you really mm-hmm. focused on on if you weren't sort of worrying about how to get better and all that sort of stuff yeah um, but but looking back now it must have been fun did you have oh. fun like I feel sorry for the um, generation coming through now of professional rugby. I was lucky enough to experience like because you kind of bridged both, really, didn't correct. you? Yeah. yeah. Um, like to the point where, so I remember my first uh, rugby tour, and it was with Eddie, and yeah, those were the days where like um, kangaroo court was still around. Can you hear me? Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, I'm just checking. I've still got some battle. Oh, hold on. Sorry, bro. No, yeah. There we go. I'm just checking. I got a little bit of battery left, so we'll have oh, to cool. wrap. We'll have to wrap up shortly. But keep, yeah, keep no, going. No, keep right. going. No, I was just saying, like, uh, with um, the era when I first started with Eddie Jones, like that's when Katie Rucourt was still around, and like I think that social aspect itself like made the game so much enjoyable, but also easier to bond. Whereas now, oh, I because, agree totally. Yeah, because like everything's so like um, uh, focused in terms of the result, you sort of miss out the main point of building that bridge to bond with each other. So, yeah, I, I feel like that gets highly underviewed in terms of the important stepping stone for any team to achieve anything. I I have a theory that the best way to Bond is the beers, not the Broncos. And I've thought that my whole life and no one has ever been able to convince me otherwise. <laughs> well, I mean, imagine doing both. Well, exactly, exactly. And that's when you really that's when you really nail it. Yeah, because like the Bronco, you, if you convince yourself to go flat out, like you'd be, one, you'd be surprised all the time you get, but two, like you've got a cold, freshy waiting for you at the end of it too. Hundred yeah. percent. Let's finish. Awesome. Let's finish on that, brother. Um, if, when we play you guys, I think you guys will be at home this year. Come and have a beer. For sure. Um, um, yeah. If you're, if you're still around, if you're still around. Oh, I'll let you know. But uh, at the same time, uh, I think they're trying to uh, get in contact with me for a coaching. I said, oh, I'd be happy to be like a, a scrum mentor, but not necessarily coaching. So, yeah, we'll see. All, all right, brother. It's good to chat and. Um, I'll let you know when this is all up. All good. No worries. Good Thank luck you with so it. much, mate. mate. Thank you. No, well done on the first step. Thank you, mate. Thanks. Yes, mate. Catch you. Catch you yeah. tough.